Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much for making your way here, checking out the series. Hope you hit the subscribe button while you're around. Uh, iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube for the video versions or anywhere you get your podcasts from. I put out three brand new interviews every single week, so it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and know what's happening in the music world. I'm Kyle Mayer, and today I'm talking with Rag and Bone Man, uh, Rory Graham, his actual name. We're going to be discussing the new record, Life by Misadventure. It's an album that finds the uh, the British songwriter actually traveling to Nashville, linking up with uh, songwriters like Natalie Hemby for this um, really soulful live set of songs. And the live part uh, was really important to him. In fact, he talks about his love of uh, John Prine in the interview, how he might apply the aesthetics from this record to the work he does inside the drum and bass scene, especially alongside artists like uh, Ronnie Size, who he came up with, and what it was like to have Wendy Melvoin from Prince and the Revolution, you know, Wendy and Lisa, uh, recording on this record. So let's do this, discuss Life by Misadventure. It's Kyle Meredith with Rag and Bone Man. Hey, bro. I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I know uh, a part of this story takes place as you... You, you you leave England behind for a little bit and you come over here right down the road from where I am in Louisville to uh, to Nashville. I was in fact, yeah. I was just talking with uh, Yola, who had sort of done the same thing for her new, new record. And, uh, yeah, for real. I don't know. Is there a movement happening? Is that what you're trying to start here? I think a lot of artists from the UK historically go to L.A. to write. But I've I, I've never really done that. And I, I have a very limited experience with L.A., but it's very much like super pop mm-hmm. in terms of like you know the writers that are out there um and i i just like nashville as a place i kind of fell in love with it a little bit not like the nashville that's um that's kind of like country music disney but the the side of nashville that's like the kind of roots of the music that i really love you know the the Emmy Lou Harris's and the Towns Van Zandt and the Johnny Cash and the John Prine that's that's the that's the music that I really love and um yeah I just I met some good friends out there as well I made some really great friends and worked with some incredible musicians so yeah maybe there is a movement I don't know I mean I've I've spoken to other artists from the UK and and I've said like if if at any point you run out of inspiration while you're writing in the UK don't rule out Nashville as a place to go because I really think like it's so it's so much more than country music these days. Mm. I think there's some, you know, we I I wrote with like Natalie Hemby, who is an is an amazing artist in our own right, but wrote some really beautiful songs that I love, like for for people like Labyrinth and and my friend Foy Vance said like 
you have to work with Natalie because she's amazing. And he wasn't lying because she is amazing. And um, I, I got to write with Mike Reed and Alan Shamblin, who wrote I Can't Make You Love Me, which is like my top five songs of all time. So that was like pinch myself dream shit, you know? I, I loved it. I had, I had such fun, such yeah. fun making this record. Yeah. I mean, you're speaking my love language there with all of the artists that you mentioned, especially when you get into John Prine. I mean, you know, for, for a long time, yeah. even though he was, even though he he seemed like he was always a legend, I feel like he was underappreciated for, for a bit of time in there. And that, that has changed in the past few years. You know, yeah. and, and I hear you do take some inspiration from him on this record. Was there anything specifically that you were kind of trying to glean from from his art? Well, it, you know, you, you'll know as, as a John Prime fan that he has this ability to put things so simply, but with just pieces, little golden nuggets along the way. And if that's how I feel about John Prine, like if they're just, they're like pieces of magic that happen in, in his lyrics. And I just, I, I spent a lot of time listening to him because I just, I just think he's a genius lyrically. And I don't, I, I've never tried to copy anybody like that, but just to try and take something from his songwriting, the way he puts things and the way he is with words, just it, it can't not be inspiring. And we actually worked with um, Pat McLaughlin on this record, who was who was John's guitarist for mm -hmm. quite a few years, um, and has written songs with John as well. So that was really cool to be in the room with Pat and just hear stories. Like I could hear him talk forever about John Prine. Like it was it was really beautiful. It reminds me of one of the moments uh, on this record because. We actually hear you talking to someone about guitar in the record right before somewhere along the way just some studio chatter what's going on there who are you talking to that's pat mclaughlin and he's okay. uh he, he's he's a really funny guy he's an amazing guitarist but he he had this moment where he just couldn't quite play this riff <laughs> and um and then started to make jokes about you know being in bands playing guitar but he was demoted to playing like the tambourine because um, he couldn't get the riffs right. Um, yeah, it's nice to have those little human bits in, in the record because it lets people into that studio situation. I mean, it, it does, it it didn't feel out of place. It's still so real amongst the songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like, it was strange how I, how I did my first record and I didn't think at any point to just record it with like a band live. And then when I went to do this record, I was like, why have I never done this before? <laughs> well, I don't know, you know, what have I been doing all this time? Why have I not done this? You know, and, it, and it's such a regular thing to do in, in Nashville, but I think over in the UK, nobody really does that. Mm -hmm. Now, unless you are a band, then most solo artists build a track and then record on top. Right. That's how it goes down, you know? And like my experience of doing it with, with a band just, just made me like vibe so much more and, and create a record where you can actually hear the instruments in the place they were in the room. And that makes people feel like they're, they can hear the room. And, and then, you know, that makes it so much more personal. I think. I think it was another interview that you were doing recently. You were talking about eventually wanting to do some drum and bass like you'd done in your past and everything. Like, yeah. can you apply this type of sound to a genre like that too? Yeah, for real. Like, uh, we had, I've worked with, um, a guy called Ronnie size in the UK mm -hmm. from Bristol and he's the kind of the crossover between like 
you know, the genre as a whole was seen as like very electronic, but he was someone that brought jazz and like really funky bass lines into that genre. So it, it is, it, those worlds do collide. So, uh, you know, we'll see what the future brings. <laughs> Ronnie says using the uh, drummer from Soul Coughing. I don't know if he still does, yeah. but for a while there, like that was, yeah, that's yeah. how that opened my world. That was my crossover moment for, for real. what was going on there. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I'll get into the lyrics a little bit too here because, you know, you're talking about Prine and the way he tells the stories. I think you do a magical job of that uh, on this album. You know, when you get when you get the crossfire and hearing you talk about that, you know, here we have the only two yeah. people left on the planet. And... Yeah. I don't know when it was written. I don't imagine it was written, you know, during all of this or whatever, as, as lots of songs, you know, come to represent where we were in this. But when do you realize that a song like that is starting to eerily make a little bit more sense than maybe when you wrote it? It's so weird because that, that the lyrics from this travel, they're, they're probably like five or six years old. It was something that I'd written down, not musically with any melody in mind at all, just just kind of how I felt in that moment where I was having that dream that that was happening. And then, yeah, we cut to like, I was just down at the studio at my house in the garden and uh, my, my keys player from the band, Ben just played this riff on, on the piano. And I was like, Oh shit. And I, I, I was searching through on my notes on my phone, like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It's like, oh, I found it 2016 or whatever. And, um, and then the, the song was just born out of that. And then, but you're so right, because I hear it now and I think it sounds like it was written like yesterday about the situation that we're in, you know, mm -hmm. a kind of weird um, parallel universe that everybody feels like they're in. Well, that's what makes a song classic. Again, you find those moments through here, especially, you know, the classic songs are the ones we relate to, I guess, or at least yeah. find ourselves in. Like, I hear you talk about the record being a hopeful record all in all. And, yeah. and I hear those moments as well, especially when we get towards the end of it. But there, there are parts where I also hear, I'll say, a person adrift. I don't always assume that the I in the song is about you. Yeah, but yeah. there are those moments, you know. I, I don't know. Am I off on that? Because it, it sounded like, like the lonely moments weren't despair. Like it almost sounded to me like the lonely moments were comfort leaning into that loneliness. No, I think it kind of was despair, if I'm really honest. Um, in, in part, in part, like, I feel like the only really sad song is like talking to myself and it was, it was, it was a song that I had to be coaxed into putting on the record because I wrote it in such a strange kind of vulnerable time where I did not feel good in my own body in my own skin and like had been through like a really shitty breakup and 
were just at pretty much just at the bottom of a bottle for quite a long time. So I, I, I look at the song as like quite pathetic in a way, because it's just like what a lot of men do is feel very sorry for themselves when those kinds of things happen. So although like at the time I felt like really seriously kind of depressed and stuff, I think I look back at it now, now that the record's out into the world, like I don't feel so uncomfortable about it now. Well, I, I remember speaking to my A&R and he was like, Rory, you've got to keep this song on the record. It's so great. And I was like, I, dude, I, I really don't want it on the record. Like I just, it's too sad and it reminds me of feeling this certain way and he and they convinced me to keep it on as long as they didn't make it a single um <laughs> but yeah i'm not i'm not so bothered about it now now i hear it and like I, now it's out into the world it's just it's made that feeling kind of disappear which is you know, pretty fucking cool actually yeah when you give it to everybody else it's not so much yours anymore it's <laughs> yeah. what it sounds like exactly yeah. it becomes everybody else's you know but it but it does get better throughout the right. I mean, we're we're left towards the end here with parties over, and that goes into old habits. Where does where does that leave us? Yeah, I um I, I really enjoy the end of this record because uh, it gets like quite big and then goes back to this like recording recording that I did in my garage at home. I think it's the only successful song that I've ever written drunk. <laughs> like I, I think I, I kind of wrote I wrote this that old habit song as the, as the was the last song on the record when it was it was meant to finish on um the party's over but um yeah just before they sent the record to be mixed i was like no i've got one more and just gave them that um which i and i, and I tried to produce that last song but it just didn't feel right and so i just took my guitar and went into my garage which has a really fucking great like reverb it's just this big room and um, took the piano from my studio and put it in the garage. And then we all just went down there and recorded it into one microphone. And that, and like the first take of that is just what ended up on the record, which to me is great. Cause it's just a bit of like, it's not, it's a scratchy kind of shitty recording, but it's it's got a bit of soul to it, which is nice. You mentioned soul. I, I do want to ask about it. You've got a lot of amazing guests on this record, a lot of amazing players. Uh, yeah. Wendy Melvoin on here, though. We're talking Wendy from Prince. Yeah. Like, that's the one that stood out, obviously, because that's the one that didn't exactly make sense with everybody else. What was that experience like? Because there must have been, I mean, some stories there, hopefully. The idea, well, I I basically had had some drummers that I was thinking of when I, when I was doing this record. And I, I went to Mike Elizondo and I was like, look, I don't have these guys' numbers. I don't know these people. Like, can, can you approach them? And I was like, I really would love Derry Jones in this record. Because I went to New York and I heard, I saw this gig and Daru was playing with like a James Brown tribute thing. It was when, it was a tribute to the funky drummer. And um, and I saw Daru play and I was like, fucking mind blown by the way he plays. And... Um, and and Mike was like, yeah, I know Daru, I'll phone him. <laughs> I was like, that's cool. Um, amazing. And then we were also talking about, because what happened was Mike, Mike's a great guitarist too, but he, he played the guitar parts on this record when we were doing it live. Um, and then approached me and said, you know, I, I feel like Wendy could just do an amazing job. 
with all this. If we gave her the whole record and said, do what you would do on this record. And I was like, what, how are you going to get Wendy Melvin? And he was like, I know her really well. I was like, well, of course you do, because you're Mike Elizondo. So you, you can approach anybody. If I just approached her, she would have been like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> but just such a such an um, amazing job. Like on paper was like, I, I get what you're saying. Maybe with the other musicians, sounds a bit strange. But she added something cinematic to this record, especially the electric guitar parts. They just, they blow me away. She spent so much time and was so meticulous about the sounds that she uses that I think she's one of my favorite guitarists in the world. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's again, it's the perfect recipe what you've got on here. Duet with Pink was great. I mean, the, the, the whole thing. I, like I said, I can't compliment you enough on this. Oh, bro, that's really nice. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. Uh, sir, again, Life by Misadventure, it, it is great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about it. This has been an honest pleasure. Congratulations on all of the success. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully we'll see you around on this yeah. live show eventually. Yeah, dude. Big thanks to Rag and Bone Man. The new album is called Life by Misadventure. Thanks to you for checking out the series. I do hope you hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out every single week. Again, iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube for the video version, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. After that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me in the social media spots, including Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all three of them at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along, and make sure to say hi when you do. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.